So for the first time in as long mm. as I can remember, maybe ever, David forgot that we were going to record the podcast today and just didn't show up. He's here now, though. Yeah. I was uh, I was in the kitchen making coffee in my head. I know I have a phone call at noon, and I'm like, okay, I've got plenty of time. Maybe I'll go to Home Depot and get some things <laughs> that I need. Uh, I, I can clean up the shop, and I'm just, I'm just moseying, like having a really easy morning. Just like no pressure. I'm not going to... I'm not going to work too hard until noon. And I get this text like, David, you okay? <laughs> and instantly, like, I just I just felt this rush of blood just <laughs> go right to my head. Oh. I'm like, I am a moron. <laughs> We've done this for years. Yeah. Six years? I don't know. Never, nobody's ever this. late without a note, without a warning, which is why. <laughs> never. We were two minutes late, I said, I hope Dave's okay because he's never been late ever. Yeah. We're worried about you, man, but everything's good. Okay. Yeah. Um, All is good. All is well. Will you check your mic? I think you might be on the wrong mic. Oh, I am on the wrong mic. Probably. And that's my bad for not catching that beforehand. Well, uh, while he's fixing his mic, Jimmy, what have you been up to? Well, now that I'm back from England, safe and sound, we are getting into projects here. I say we. My brother's been helping me a lot. My brother Joey's been in some of the clips He's staying with me during the week and helping me out with some of my projects. He's going to kind of maybe take Aaron's position, at least for a little while, and help me out around the shop with organizing and stuff. And I started the boat build. I'm building a small boat. You might say a, a skiff, or it's called, it's actually technically, if anybody wants to Google it, it's called a Rice Lake Skiff. And it is a cute little boat that a couple of years ago when I went up to Canada to go visit Bear Mountain Boats, they had a, a little rendezvous of, of boats at this lake. And I fell in love with this boat from the second I saw it. And they gave me the plans. And I've been sitting on them since 2019. And I finally got to the making, the Rice Lake skiff. It's really cute. It's 14 foot long, has a, a, tra- a transom on the back so that you could attach a small electrical motor. And it has a couple of oar stations so there's back oar stations and and front oar stations and so there's lots of woodwork and the interesting thing about this time is that i'm milling all the wood myself the last time when i made the canoe they provided the wood now it's 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 i hate saying that because everyone says oh oh it was a kit technically it is a supply of wood it's not necessarily a kit in the way that you know glue a to b and then b to c you are basically given a pile of wood that's 18 feet long. That's the only reason you have to get it from them because you can't go to the lumberyard and get 18-foot-long strips of one inch by mm. one quarter wood. So they do provide a kit if you wanted to buy it. But So that's why the word kit immediately is like when you say somebody, oh, I built a canoe, and they're like, oh, yeah, I got the kit from Bear Mountain. Oh, it's a kit. It's like, oh, I can do that if I just make the time. And I'm not trying to like say only I can make it out of a pile of wood, but – it's funny because people like immediately diminish your efforts by saying, hmm. "Oh, it was a kit." Yeah, like yeah, it was it was a supply of wood and a roll of plans. Yes, yes, it was a kit. <laughs> but like yeah. the way they say it, they're like taking a little bit back from you. It's just it's always annoying. So this time around, I didn't get the kit. All I got was a roll of plans, just a roll of like four sheets of paper, and then each one of the papers, all the information it needs to make the boat, just like the last time. But the last hmm. time, I actually bought the wood from them. The kit. Hmm. So the kit. this time I'm using my old porch planks, which seems to be really old growth, Douglas fir. I'm going to mill it all up and make all the planks. And then I'm using a lot of leftover new porch planks to do some of the in-between wood, like the transom and the stem and you know, some of the other wood. So it'll be 100-year-old porch planks and brand-new porch planks combined. Hmm. I have a couple questions. Yeah. I'm looking at this boat. It looks really cool. It's pretty, um, right? It is. Are you going to paint the outside of it, or are you leaving this all, like, bare wood? I'm going to possibly – I'll probably leave it bare wood just because it just looks more inviting. It just looks more warm yeah. and fuzzy. But I, I was – I'm going to mill the wood itself, and I milled a couple pieces in the test in the test process, and some of it is stained to the point where I'm going to – I'm going to cough. I'm going to mute and cough. Thank you. Some of it is stained to the point where it has just because the wood's so old. And uh, so I'm probably going to just put it together and then I'll decide. 
I think the stains might be nice. I might want it to show that the wood has lived a prior life. And also, uh, the nail holes are all in a very specific spot, which I, in the part of the wood I can't use. But I'm hoping there'll be one or two nail holes showing up throughout the thing, like a little rusty square hole that I could just kind of say, say, look you're, at that. You're hoping for a hole in your boat that you're going to make. Yes. Cool. I'll fill it with epoxy yeah. and total boat. But <laughs> the whole point is just I want to try and bring through some of that prehistoric texture to the sure. to the boat itself. But it's exciting. It's really fun getting right back into, like, I built the canoe in 2018, but doing it in the same spot in the shop with the back doors open and now the, the grass is starting to get green and the trees are filling in. It's it's really, it's like the best thing ever. It's like mm. one of the most fun things for me. That's awesome. It's just uh, sitting... Well, fiddling around and like, and now I'm also making, you guys might've seen on my Instagram this week, I'm making the Eiffel Tower out of ice cream sticks. It's very, very important job. So I was hired by the French government to make it. Wow. Hmm. Just kidding. I mean, it's lay a, wow. It's a, uh, lay it's wow. It's a total, oh, I just dropped my phone. <laughs> it's a, it's a type bond video for, to promote their glue. I'm, I'm partnered up with type bond as you guys know. And so in a meeting a few months ago, we were talking and I said, oh, you know, it'd be fun to make the Eiffel Tower to ice cream sticks. And when I pictured it, I'm thinking like eight feet tall. But to do that, I'd have to check out of society and hide because mm. it takes so long. So I'm making it four feet tall and I'm doing a little bit different. I, I was describing to Bob before we started, I, I photocopied or photographed. I took a photograph and printed it out and tiled it and made it about four feet tall from the internet. Just an actual photograph of the Eiffel Tower. Seems like a good square, flat-on profile, and I'm building on top of it. So all the the details. I'm not putting all the details in it because there's a considerable amount of details as far as archways and stuff. So I'm doing a a smattering of that. Hmm. And it's starting to come to life. I did... I'm doing the flat sides down, and then I'm going to assemble the flat sides and sections. And it's coming to life. It's starting to look pretty good. Awesome. Yeah, that was one of my questions about that was how far, like detail-wise, how far are you going? You know, how much yeah. of the structure are you trying to recreate versus just get the silhouette of Nuts it? Nuts and bolts in there. Yeah, the, the, the primary spots will be filled with sticks and stuff, and the cross members will be primarily there. So it's so much so that when you look at it, you're going to go, oh, my God, you put all that detail in? I will have left a lot out, but your mind will fill in all the blank spaces you think you're looking at. Ooh, I like yeah, that. That's what happens. Cool. I had another question about the boat. Yeah. I wasn't done yet. You got to build a don't. boat. Both of you guys no have to way. make a boat or a no. canoe. It's such a great project. Um, so you were talking about getting a roll of plans. Are those, is that just like drawings and measurements or is there anything on a boat like that that is templatable um yes what what is templatable and because i have a a special relationship with bear mountain boats sorry i'm picking my phone up off the floor they give me the cnc files for the boat stations so the the in those plans are the boat stations and each station they're spaced one foot apart they create the mold on top of which you lay the strips of wood and you glue one to the other to the other in this curvature and everything starts to stay in that shape. It's like you're laminating it together. And so those boat stations are on those plans and the plans only give you half of the boat station in sequential order. So you have to draw half of it and then mimic the drawing and then draw the other half. But it shows you where, I'll send you some pictures. It shows you where all the boat stations will be and what their profiles are. And that's really the most important thing is getting the boat stations the right shape and in the right space. And so for hmm. this, in the canoe, I built the stem at the front is holds all the, the strips that come to the front. And because the boat is symmetrical, it has the same thing at the back. But this, since it's got a flat back, so the back transom is, is like the back stem and the front stem is like the curve thing. So the strips will go from the front stem, which is the curvy part, all the way to the back flat part. So this boat is not symmetrical in four ways. It's only symmetrical down the center, left and right. Yes. One of the, when I watch like boat and canoe builds, one of the things that gives me a little bit of anxiety is how things line up at the end. So yeah. I think of like when I was a kid, 
and you draw a straight line. And then you want to draw a bunch of parallel straight lines to that line. Or like you're just writing out on a blank piece of paper with no no rule lines. And you write one line, and then you write the next line that you think is parallel, but it's slightly off. And then you keep going slightly off. And by the time you get to the bottom of the page, yeah. your, your <laughs> lines, lines are like they're falling off the page. I feel I, I get that that same kind of feeling when I look at the canoe builds. I'm like, well, what if my first one is off and then all the rest of them are just slightly off? Well, that, that you start with a, a regulated width of the material. So it's all one inch thick by a quarter inch. And now, by the way, this, this way, the way you build this boat is different than, there's obviously several ways of building a boat, but this one <clears throat> is not done in the traditional sense of the word where you have like big planks glued on top of planks, glued on top of planks. This is done, I guess you might say it's a cedar strip type canoe or a cedar strip. It's done in a, in a little bit of an easier way than like a traditional boat build. And that's why I think it's like a project that most people can do. Hmm. It's, it's, a, it's much more obtainable. And then, so if you start, you start, I think it's called the shear line. It's like the actual shape of the boat, the height, you know, the actual curve of the very first top plank, which will be on the bottom of the mold. You put both of those on at the same time, and then you just keep adding one inch on top, one inch on top, one inch on top, one inch on top. And even if they are slightly off, as long as everything is parallel in the one inch, because you're passing it through the table saw, as long as it's, you just glue them on one side, then the other side, then one side, then the other side. That's how I do it. You wouldn't want to do all the way one side and then all the way the other side. You can go back. Also, you want the tension to be equal. Because there is tension in that, so you want the tension to be the same. So if you do one on the left, you oh. do one on the right. One on the left, one hmm. on the right, and oh. and then in that way you'll make sure. But also the the planks come together at the end, but then they get covered again with another strip of wood. And then <clears throat> think of it like this: you can't see all four tires on a car at the same time. Like you could have two hubcaps on the left side of the car and two completely different hubcaps on the right side of the car, and. People on the right side of the street are going to go, wow, look at those cool hubcaps. And people on the left side are going to go, wow, look at those cool hubcaps. But no one's ever going to know that they're all photo match. So it's the same type of thing. I remember when I built the canoe, I was doing a very specific color combination. Like first this one, then that one, then this one, then that one, then this one, then that one. And I skipped and I slipped up and I was like four planks past it before I realized. Mm. And it was like, I was like, wow, do I rip them off and go backwards and try and switch my color? And then I was like... You know what? I'm going to be the only one that notices that. And now when I try and point it out to people, I have a hard time remembering where I made my mistake. But when I made the mistake in real time, I was really upset. I was like, oh, God, I can't believe I did that. Hmm. But nobody notices. Yeah. Interesting. Will you get in the boat? Because I saw online that you would not get in the in the uh, the TV show boat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well... <clears throat> I was just, everybody wanted to get in the TV show boat, the the guitar boat. Everybody wanted to get into it just because I was so proud that we made it. And I was like, it floats. It's all, it's all, it didn't sink. Good, but good. They're like, come on, get in. I'm like, nope. Like, come on. I'm like, there's like eight people on it. The producer's on it, the writer, the cameraman, everyone's floating on it. Because everybody was so excited about the project. And like, come on. I'm like, nope. Let's get out of here. Of course, we were in my neighbor's yard and I was a little embarrassed that we were just like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Lally gagging around, everyone's like floating on their lake. That's my pro- that's my neighbor right right along my property line. They have this. Did they know what was going on? Uh, yeah, no, no, they were there. They <laughs> they they were. Oh. We got their permission. We didn't just jump in there. Just crashed the. They lake. were very sweet. They had a really nice time watching us have fun. That's cool. Yeah. Awesome. But it's it's, it's I'm really excited about the builds. It's it's really invigorating. It's nice to dig into a project that you've been avoiding just because in your mind you know it's a big chunk of change to deal with. But when you get started and just put little pieces behind you. And my porch build. So the other thing too is I, I'm really moving along. I'm trying to get my porch build done. So I started the edit, which I, I started everything last July. So I am uh, digging into that. So the edit's well underway. So that might be a, a video I could release sooner than later. Sweet. And the porch is totally done? No, I'm waiting on the porch poles that come in. That would be mm-hmm. nice. It would be nice to show the new porch poles, but the, hopefully they'll get them done. They're like three weeks out, mm. four weeks out. Gotcha. Custom made. David, what have you been up to? It's really hard to get walnut plywood. <laughs> I, th- we have a, we have a, we have a, 
plywood dealer here in Toledo. And they usually have everything that you need. You know, walnut, maple, cherry, birch, OSB. They just have tons of it. They have a whole, whole warehouse of, of plywood. No walnut plywood. I'm getting ready to build this, uh, rebuild this electric piano. It belongs to my friend. And it's a big, like, early 80s Yamaha electric piano. So it's it's got actual hammers in there, and it's got all the mechanics, but it's kind of... It kind of folds up, and it's been on tour a couple times across the country. And it's not going to go on tour anymore, and it's just going to live in his living room. And so I am redoing the whole thing out of walnut and walnut plywood. And at the at the top, it's going to have a piece of either glass or clear acrylic, so you can see the hammers do their do their thing. It's I'm really excited about it. But so I, I had this vision for it, and I just can't get walnut plywood. And uh, and then Rockler contacted me and they wanted to do a video showing off some of their clamps. And I said, well, well I have this project here. This would be great for that. And uh, they're like, cool. I'm like, great. I'll just get some walnut ply- plywood from Rockler. They don't have any either. <laughs> so uh, I am dead set on making this out of walnut. I don't have the love of for walnut that I used to. Like everything used to have to be made out of walnut. I'm kind of over that, but this project, I I can see it in my. Now you're looking for like a veneer walnut. core or or. A- yeah, yeah, and um, so I uh, I've got a bunch of vacuum press stuff coming, and I'm going to make my own walnut plywood. I've never done it, but I've got the oh, that's uh, cool. big vacuum bags, and yeah, and. I've not done. I've never done any vacuum pressing at all. I've seen it done. It looks cool. Uh, I'm aware that you can get crazy pounds of pressure even throughout a large piece, and you can do curved pieces. And so I'm excited to learn something new. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, I don't know if anybody else is feeling that pain, or if this is just a Toledo thing. But can I get one? Have with? you ever heard? So that project. Have you ever heard of a company called DSI? Have I told you about them before? I don't think so. So DSI does, I'm trying to find the correct, stands for Distributor Service Incorporated. Um, it's a, it's a maybe not nationwide, but r- at least kind of regional. Um, and it looks like they do serve Ohio. And it's a place where you can buy sheet goods of all different types. And you can, it's not a store, it's like a, like a shipping company. And so they will just ship you like one time we bought 300 okay. pieces of four by eight quarter inch MDF and a truck showed up with a stack of MDF and just like dropped it in my driveway. And, but we've bought plywood from them. Uh, we bought several sheets of walnut and cherry and maple one time and just had, you know, if you get over a certain dollar amount, the delivery's free. Otherwise there's a delivery charge. And if you've got a place to store some material, it's a good way to have like a variety yeah. of stuff delivered uh, at one time directly to you, and then you can just store it. So you might want to look there. I don't, I don't know if they have anything or not, but right now. Hmm. But we've gotten uh, good quality plywood from them. Uh, we've gotten big 5 by 5 birch sheets when we made the ping pong table from them. They have like the colored MDF, whatever that stuff's called. Um Apple Ply? Yeah. Huh? Oh, I know. So Apple Ply is another company that makes colored MDF. Oh, yeah. I don't know the brand, but I just know that whatever that MDF is called, there's a name for it. But, you know, lots of different kinds of melamine. They have all sorts of stuff. Something to check out. I will definitely check that out. I wonder if it's one of those things where, like, I can buy a ton of plywood and then go rent a little storage garage for <laughs> 50 bucks a month to store it. Um, That'd be a bad idea. All right, that's that is good to know. Yeah. Well, anyway, out of all that pain, I'm going to learn a new skill that hopefully I can apply to yeah. future projects. So that got put on hold until the supplies come. Mm-hmm. So I think this week we. Um, uh, I wonder if you guys ever struggle with this. There's, I want to. We need floating shelves in our in our one room, and this project seems so simple, and it seems like. It would complicate the project to film it. Like, do I just make the floating shelves, or or do I I film it? And is it so simple that it's that it's stupid? So I'm I'm, I'm struggling with that. Like, how can I make this longer than 
Well, I'll, I'll tell you what. The, I'll tell you what. Any time I think I'm going to make a simple video, I start. My process for people that don't know and never heard me say it is every time I make anything, I almost always will edit as I'm making. So, for instance, I'm making the boat video and I'm making the Eiffel Tower video. Both of those are edited right up to where I am with the project. So every night I sit at the computer and add pieces to the to the timeline. Everything I shot that day just gets added. So when I'm done with my mm-hmm. final shot, I'm basically done with the video. <clears throat> and the Eiffel Tower, for instance, I'm like, this video is going to be eight minutes, like five minutes long. And I'm going to struggle to keep it seven or eight minutes long. It's already at like seven or eight minutes and I'm way less than halfway done. So there's always something that you just can't expect when you're thinking something is going to be too short or not enough. <laughs> and then if it's this too short, true. just make it a shorts or, or a reel. So it's, well, a, it's film it with like a composition knowing that you could crop it, portrait if you needed to, at least a couple shots so that you could put together a sequence that looks like that. So I, I'd say film everything. This is something I struggle with too, is like I, I will uh, – my, my threshold for what would be worthwhile to film is not correct. Like I, I, I overcomplicate things and I don't look at simple things as valuable. But I mean, you could take a simple project. We're we're actually working on a very simple project right now that's very simple. But we're using it as a way to teach some other stuff. It's just it's just the object mm-hmm. and it's just mm-hmm. the, the situation that allowed this other stuff to happen. So like, you know, with the shelves, you could film the way that you're doing it, and it could be four or five minutes long. And along the way, you could also say, well, in this step, if you don't have this tool, you could have this tool and you would use it this way. You know, give some options along the way to the few things that you have to do or something to that effect. And so you're you're using a scenario to share knowledge, create value, whatever it is, the thing that you're trying to get across. But you can do multiple versions of each one of those things along the way, not to pad it, but to mm-hmm. make it, you know, Use it as give it more value. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, and yeah, the struggle is not to like just make a video to make a video, but it's like I want to make a video that has value and then I'm and I'm proud of you know and um uh, it's just I'm gonna I'm gonna and what I want to do with it is really really simple. I'm just taking like eight quarter board and just chop it up, drill holes, and then. Then I had the hardware, but I think the, the the multiple tool thing could be good. Maybe I can use a drill press. Maybe I can use a a, a drill guide as well. Maybe I can use a circular saw and a table saw. So that's a good idea. And the idea of getting it stuck on the wall properly is is always a difficult thing. A lot of people buy those floating shelves and they don't know how to install them on the wall. They start to droop and then they just throw them away. You'd see them in the street in New York City all the time because you have college students who buy them because they look sexy and then you go to put them up and the leverage versus how they get attached to the wall is Mm. a concept that most people don't understand. And so attaching it to the wall properly so that it will stay Mm. there is is another good learning lesson. I wonder if uh, it's one of those things like this video will will go viral, you know. Like I, there was a, a couple of years ago, and we might we might talk about this later. Uh, when Cameron Dan was working here, I didn't have a project, and so the night before, I just wrote down okay, like ten different ways to do butt joints, and then the next day we filmed this video, and we were actually done by lunch. It was such an easy video to film, and now two years later, you know, it's got like four point whatever million views which it was such an easy video to shoot and it was just such a last second thing and it just became it out of the last two years it's one of it's my most popular video wow interesting yep yeah i think you can you know we're we're having to adjust a little bit lately um with some of the stuff that we want to do where uh, you know it's as the thing as the object it's not necessarily interesting or relevant or it's not going to draw people in but i'm trying to get myself out of the mindset of like this video is about this object and make Mm -hmm. it so that the video could be about an idea and the object is the example of that idea and so even like recently we did the ping pong scoring system and that's something we had done before and so we we needed a new one i didn't want to just duplicate the video so we made the, the video about making a product like refining an idea to the next step and 
I think it worked. I don't know if it actually worked or not, but it was a good way for us to get a thing done that we needed done. You know, it's not necessarily new or interesting and try to bring some value out of it. So I think there's several ways that you could probably do that for this project and for other ones. Cause I think that's something we're all going to run into eventually. Anybody who makes content, you're going to run out of really big ideas on, on a regular basis. And then you have to refill those big ideas. And in between there, there's life that you have to do. You have shelves to put up. You have, you know, closets to rebuild. You have things that are just have to be done. And so figuring out how to make those useful is a good skill, I think. Oh, sorry. Um, anything else you're working on? Um, well, that, that that that's it for now. Mm. I. I I don't. It's it's not that it's not that it's I'm working secrets. on secret things. It's that, it, it's that I'm working on things that might take a few weeks to come out, uh, or or even longer. So, and it's just because of I don't know what to I don't know what to do next. So yeah, that that's what I'm working on right now. Interesting. Is that after show topic or is it even further? It might even be further. Oh, it's wow. it's not even that interesting. After 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 <laughs> that show. I, that I, Let us be the judge of that. <laughs> Okay, we'll save it for the after show then. Right on. Uh, well, so for us, we uh, have a video coming out this week where we made... So, Jimmy, there's this movie that I like. It's called Star Wars. Oh, right. I heard about it. Oh. Really? You heard of it? I, a lot of people were impressed week... that I knew uh, BB-8. A lot of people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Several people were really impressed that you knew what, who I was talking about when I said BB-8. You know, the reason why I know a little bit about Star Wars is because we've worked with Star Wars licensing in some product development and the toy companies that I've worked with and for. Hmm. So occasionally in my life, I've had to look at uh, style guides and such. And, I and it has nothing to do with the fact that you've done a podcast with somebody who's a huge Star Wars nerd for like six or seven years. Oh, no, of course. I mean, I learned a lot <laughs> from you too. <laughs> no, but that's anyway. why I know some of the stuff. Anyway, so um, this week the video is a kind of Star Wars inspired privacy wall. So we, um, did I show you guys a picture of this already? I don't, I I don't think so. Um, in our, our building, we the front street-facing wall is a giant window. Like, it's just a big glass panel and a glass door and everything. And it that's not a bad thing. Usually, that would be great to have a lot of light coming in. In that particular room, it's where we do meetings. It's where we have the projector on the ceiling that shines on the wall. And <laughs> hey, there's Taylor. And... Um, so it's hard to manage the light in there. Plus, we don't we don't have any traffic. We don't have people that walk up to our building. We don't want people to walk up to our building, things like that. So we made this wall to cover this window, but it's two layers of the Star Wars pattern, like the Death Star kind of oblong pill shape pattern that you've seen. And so it's two layers of that, and they one of them slides. So you have this... You can close it, and you see that pill shape. And then when you open it, you have that pill shape letting the light through uh, into the room. So you can, you know, you can change the the amount of light that's coming in. Oh, that's and, pretty cool. Is that all CNC panels? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's about nine feet tall, about eight feet wide for the big panel, and then there's a shorter panel that goes kind of where the door is. So there's they're on two different planes. So that you can still use the front door. You can walk in and you have to kind of turn a little bit and stuff. But it turned out really cool. Like we had one idea for how it was going to look. And then we saw some of the Star Wars stuff like on a wall. And I, I just we had to do that. Like we couldn't pass up the opportunity to have this like giant Star Wars wall. So then we were going to paint it black and white or dark gray and white. But I was kind of worried about how that was going to feel maybe a little prison-like <laughs> or, you know, it just be a little heavy. And so we painted the white, which is the the back layer that you don't really see. We painted all that white, and then we laid this raw plywood piece on top of it, and it just looked great with the just plywood and white. And so we ended up sticking with that, and I think it was the right choice. Because it's like, it's reminiscent of Star Wars, but it doesn't look oppressive like an, you know, no. like an imperial like cell or something. Does everybody on the team have the same enthusiasm for Star Wars as you? No, no, not at all. <laughs> I was going to oh. say because you got to be careful. You got to be careful. You don't want it to look oppressive, like a. I can't even remember what you just said. 
<laughs> well, I didn't want it to feel like you were in a, a jail cell or something, you know. Oh, an imperial room. cell. I th- I'm thinking of like cell as in like a group of people. Oh, no. Like a cell like in a room. Yeah. Okay. I was trying to be funny. Of... I can't remember. I couldn't even remember my <laughs> joke. I lost track of the definition. No, of not Star everybody Wars likes Star Wars the same that I do. Everybody likes it, but I'm the oldest one in the, on the team, obviously. And so as they get younger, their personal experience with Star Wars kind of fades out, you know, a little bit. So we're it, a different oh, movie yeah. or a different time period or a different type of movie meant different things to different people. So, yeah. You know. But that is one of the questions on the, the application is how much do you like Star Wars? <laughs> yes or no? <laughs> how much do you like Star Wars? Yes or no? Yeah. <laughs> That's but, great. Uh, so we, I'll show you a picture of it because it did turn out. I think it turned out really, really cool. Oh, it's, oh it's yeah, blurry. Oh, that's, oh, that's cool. a cool pattern. Yeah, yeah, I think it looks nice. And uh, we, I love patterns. We were able to had a, a good excuse to get out our smoke machine. We have a company smoke machine, so we got that out to smoke the room a little bit. Um, just so you we got could some really futuristic get sound effects. You like when you hear like something like disengaging. Yeah. There's a little bit in the video, not in real life, but. Um, but so we got the smoke machine out so that we could get some of the light really coming through all of those openings, you know, for like a good thumbnail and stuff. And the other day, uh, I was kind of done at the office and I was going to go out to the farm and work on some stuff. So (laughs) everybody else is like, yeah, we'll just sit down and we're going to have a meeting while you're gone and whatever. So I'm out at the farm and simply safe calls me and says, we got a, uh, an alert from one of your smoke detectors at your office. Is everything okay? Do you need us to call the fire department? And I was like, I, I think everything's fine, but I will call and find out. And it turns out that our smoke machine has a little remote control that has, it's like a, like a car remote, and it has a tiny little antenna that you pull out, like an evil genius thing. And so this is laying on our conference table, and they're having a meeting, and Josh doesn't know what this remote is for. He just thinks it looks like an evil genius thing. So he picks it up and starts playing with it and starts hitting buttons, not knowing that the smoke machine is still plugged in. And it filled the room with smoke, and he couldn't figure out how to turn it off. And <laughs> it triggered the smoke detector. And That's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> That's what it's like to work at I Like to Make Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we did that project, and I think it turned out great. We tried to – It's a, it's very CNC-heavy – and so I tried to make a point to show that, you know, you can get the same shape with some basic tools and it would just take a long time, but you could totally do it. And uh, so I'm happy with that because it, it took – the building is pretty bare bones as far as style. You know, it was – before we bought it, it was a like a senior adult daycare kind of facility. And so once they had all of their – furniture and everything out the style of the building was pretty bare it didn't have a lot of detail to it and so as we're adding things like this and then our big wall texture with the air quality sensor on it stuff like that is really kind of turning it into our space and making it look like us which i think is really cool so pretty happy with those changes but that's what i'm doing and then i'm I'm out working i haven't actually worked on the car at all lately uh since i've been back from england i just haven't had time but um, starting designing some outdoor projects at the farm and start building for the kids, which will be pretty cool. And I'm anxious to get back to working on the Carmen Gear, get it moved ahead. I think it's I need to I need to make like a step forward at this point, you know, because I'm there's so much under work, inside work, uh, sheet metal stuff to do that I'm trying to focus on one area of that inner stuff that I can finish so that I can start doing some outer work on that area, you know, so I can see the results of something. I'm at a point where if I think if I just keep going, working on all the inside stuff, I'm going to start to like, you know, not want to do it because it's just, it feels kind of thankless, you know, it's like not, I can't show it off or anything. So that's where that's at. But um, we had kind of a topic, David, you had a topic. Yeah, at uh, doing things that you don't want to do so you can do things that you do want to do. And uh, I, I, I don't I don't know where we'll go with that, but everything, like, 
I have a really amazing job. But sometimes uh, I have to make videos that I'm not like insanely passionate about. But that gives me the opportunity to make videos that I'm insanely passionate about. So like we mentioned, uh, the the 10 butt joint method video. Like I didn't, I wasn't into that. I'm not into, I'm not really into tips videos, but sometimes the tips videos pays the bills so I can use that and, and make something that is totally useless. Like the, like the walnut wood mocha pot that I made a few weeks ago. Like I, and so I'm wondering if there's a topic in there that could relate to anybody in any space where they have to do things that they don't want to do so they can do things that they do want to do. Well, it's funny. I, I, spend a lot of time, not a, not a lot of time, but a lot of the questions that ask to me most often is, how do I get to do what you do? You know, that's well, all of us get that question. How do we get to do what you do? And what a lot of people I don't think realize is how much stuff, I mean, me in particular, I'm speaking for myself. People don't realize how much stuff I do that is still just for pay, still just because it's a client job that I don't want to I still have my foot in my, I guess you might call it my day job and how much I still regard that as part of my income. So a lot of people think that there's this magic threshold that we've all walked through where we will never have to talk to anybody that is going to be annoying or never have to deal with anybody that's going to be work that we, you know, look down upon. And, and that goes for Getting in an airplane. I talked about that a few weeks ago and going and doing something. You know, me and Bob just went to England and we love being there and we love Nick and the show and everything. But the drudgery of getting on a plane and going there is just that's doing work that we don't want to do to do work that we do want to do. So all that is part of it. And uh, so I, I think a lot of people think that we pass through some magic threshold that we get to this point where we never have to do anything we don't want to. Obviously, you get more selective and you can be more selective, but. My big example is, uh, oh, by the way, I'm going to recommend this this League of Extraordinary Makers documentary, which came out, and I'm in episode one, which came out really good. I'm really proud to be in it. But me and Taylor watched it last night, and every time the clips of me in my shop, the trailer that I built, the wine trailer, is in the background. And I like to tell I said, I'm getting anxious just seeing that undone on camera from August, <laughs> knowing mm. the mental pressure I was putting myself under while I was working on that. And... That is a specific job that I did it for a couple of reasons. Uh, and one of which is these are good clients of mine and I don't want them to look at somebody else next time they think they need something interesting and complicated. I want them to rely on me. And and I was able to pull through for them. And uh, I'll, tell you, I'll give you guys an update on that in the after show. And uh, so there's work that I didn't want to do to get to work that I do want to do. But also in the struggle... I'm way more smarter and more educated when it comes to saying, hey, can you build a trailer for me? Because I've gotten that request a lot. And I've always said, no, I'm too scared to. I've always said, no, I don't have the time. But in my mind, I'm like, no, I'm too scared to. So like I said, it's uh, you, you're always going to have to do work that you don't want to do to do work that you do want to do. It's a good good way to put that. Yeah, I think that's I a... think there's a... Go ahead. <clears throat> There's a part of me that also feels guilty for maybe making a video that I'm not super passionate about, but I know this video helps pay the bills. And that's a that's a stupid, weird guilt to have because I think a lot of the people that like my videos are watching because they're maybe they can relate to my enthusiasm for for the thing. So maybe I just got to get over my own guilt about not being super passionate about making a tips video. Like the veneering video that I got coming up, I'm not going to be super thrilled about that. I'm going to be thrilled that I learned something, and mm -hmm. then I'm going to be able to use that in the future. But that video is just going to be a—it's a utilitarian thing that I need to do. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, there's uh, we're we're in kind of like a weird genre of of YouTube where we're in between that like purely educational here are some ways to do things where that's like you know educational end of things and then the other you know extreme i just get to show off everything and and like and i don't mean that in a negative way but like i'm just 
you know, I'm vlogging my life and this is my life and my just the existence of things. We're in that middle ground where it's kind of both of those things, but also mm-hmm. kind of neither of those things, depending on what, what the video is. And so it's always a, a bit of a trade-off, you know, between those two. If you go too far in one direction, you're leaving some people behind. Some people that came to you for education will get left behind if you go the other way and whatever. And uh, at the same time, we have the freedom to be able to go back and forth from video to video and 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 refine that line or that mixture between those things. Um, I think, you know, anybody who's ever had a job that they didn't absolutely, completely, totally, 100% love, which I think is pretty much everybody, has done that trade-off, has done that thing, well, you know, of course, I don't love everything about this job, but I'm doing it because it allows me to you know, have the money to do the things I want on the weekend or in the evenings or to go the places I want to go or whatever. So, I mean, that, that trade-off is, is part of everybody's life. It just looks different in our case where we're the thing that we're doing has the trade-off built into it versus, Mm. you know, somebody Mm -hmm. who works at a factory and they don't really like it, but the trade-off is that they get to go to the beach on the weekends or whatever, you know, it's probably a terrible example. Um, but we have that trade-off built into the, the job itself. I mean, and you know, we have to do that a lot. It's just part of it. And so I think the thing that we're trying to do is with those videos that feel uh, less inspired and more functional is like, well, if we're going to do this, then how do we make the most of it? And I don't mean the most of it, like how do we have the most fun with it, but how do we make the most of it. Either we turn it into as many pieces of content as we can, or we make it as valuable, as overly packed as we can for the viewer, or we make it above and beyond for the sponsor, or we, you know, just like, if I'm going to spend my time here, and if I'm trading off something, whatever it is for this thing, it's got to be the most. It's got to be as much as we can make it, you know. And you know, mm-hmm. it's just one of those struggles you just have to keep kind of chasing and trying to figure out. But we do that all the time, unfortunately. We have the <laughs> excuse me. We had a call with a, a YouTube rep recently. Did I already tell you guys this? Doesn't okay. sound familiar. So we had a call with this new YouTube partner manager dude who was really nice, very helpful, and he um, he did like a, a deep dive on our channel analytics and brought back this big, long uh, PDF that was just like so much data. <laughs> it was way too much. But he pulls up this one screen and it had a bunch of our videos listed. And he was like, these are the top performing videos with people who are not subscribed to you. And then these down here are, uh, it was a different group, but it was like the ones that are the most uh, rewatched or something to that effect. And so we looked at this top list and they were in order of most viewed to least viewed. And there were five or 10, I don't remember. And <laughs> we were all looking at this thing and we, <laughs> Josh and I both said, is this list backwards? Because in my mind, those are the worst performing videos. Those are all videos that were a trade-off. Those were all videos that sounded like a good idea in the beginning and then didn't work out like we wanted or didn't get the thing accomplished that we wanted or whatever, you know. And the first one on there was we did something with the Navy during COVID. And the original idea for the Navy video thing was very cool and very, very different. And then because of COVID and all of the different things, it turned into something else that I'm not proud of. And I I mean, we did our part, but it just wasn't good. It just didn't work. And that was the number one video in this, like, whatever this particular chart was. And I think it was a reminder to me that my expectation of what we do and how other people, like, take it and, you know, what they do with it, those are two really different things. I can't guess what the audience is going to be drawn to, whether it's my audience or people who just stumble across us. Those are two different groups of people, and I don't know what they're going to like. And so, you know, 
as much as we can plan and like I said, try to make the most out of a piece of content and try to make it as much as possible, it's still going into an indeterminate number of personalities, an indeterminate number of opinions, and it's going to be taken for however they want to take it. So there's only so much you can do with those types of videos that you're talking about. You know, once it's out there, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't, I don't usually get too uptight about something that's going to be kind of either hokey or not something I'm too passionate about because I always know, and just like we talked about the floating shelf video, I always know there's going to be enough content in there and there's always going to be somebody that likes it. Mm-hmm. And if we're going to play the marathon and not the sprint, you still, you're going to have videos that don't perform extremely well. And you, a lot of times you get pleasantly surprised. You find that a video you expected to not perform does perform. And so you're like, oh, okay, well, I'm glad I did that. I'm glad I didn't edit myself in that regard. So, And like I said, if, if you're a content creator and you want to be in it for the long haul, and you want to build your library and your portfolio, you could also show your dynamic range, do things that aren't always, you know, Mark Roper level, 10 million views in eight minutes. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, we're, we're also trying to, I mean, we've talked many times about the scale of videos and how the pace, you know, like whatever pace you set for yourself, then your scale that a video is made at is, you know, dependent on what can fit into the pace that you're creating. That's one thing we've been talking about recently too, is, um, you know, how, how, how do we choose, how do we vary the scale of videos so that we have enough room to do bigger ones, longer form ones. Uh, and that means some of them, the trade-off there is that some of them are going to have to not be projects. They're going to have to be shorter form. They're going to have to be easier pr- to produce. And so how do we make the most of those so that they're not filler, they're not throwaway. Um, and that's one of the, the challenges. I mean, it's kind of related, maybe not exactly the same thing, but that we're working on right now is just, you know, how do we have some, some dyma- dynamic range? That's a good way to put it. Like, how do we have variation in what we're putting out to allow for not everything has to be a weak project. Some can be bigger, some can be smaller, but we have Well, to that's have funny. I'm, I'm working I'm working right now on the Eiffel Tower made out of ice cream sticks and I'm also making a boat which I, I hope once it's done it's going to be a pretty impressive piece of work. And so I'm like working on the I'm working on the Eiffel Tower going this is ridiculous. I'm making something out of toothpicks <laughs> and ice cream sticks. But I look behind me and I'm like, oh, and I'm also doing something that's fairly complicated, but, you know, it's also another big, beautiful piece of functional art. And so I'm like, you know what, they they even each other out. But what I wanted to also ask you uh, guys both, what work non-related to content creation in, in the YouTube traditional sense of the word is something that you do that you don't want to do? which leads to what you do want to do. And I'll give you my example is when Cameo approached me and it's like, do you want to do Cameo? And I was like, no, I don't want to do Cameo. I mean, I do a lot of Cameos for free. I'm not going to start charging people. And like, no, it'll be good. It'll be good. It'll be good. And then I started looking on Cameo and seeing all the people that are on there. I mean, there's obviously lots of B, C, and D celebrities on there doing really well because they have no other options. People that don't do YouTube, it's their, it's their thing. So I'm doing it. And what's, what I'm finding is most of the cameos I get, and it's not a lot. I mean, since the show, I've probably done 20, 25, 30 maybe. They're all for mothers hiring me to talk to little kids. And those are little kids that wouldn't reach out to me personally and say, hey, could you give me some in- inspirational advice? And what the mothers are mostly asking, and sometimes fathers are saying, my son's going to be eight. Could you give him some advice on being an artist? And it's and it's not something I really love doing. And you know, I know one day if I ever run for a political office, all these cameos are going to come up with me. But it warms my heart knowing that I'm speaking directly to a young artist in training. Hmm. And no one's going to see them. It's you know, I make twenty five bucks each one or less because they take up. You know, I don't charge a lot. And it's it's nice knowing that I'm speaking directly to a, an up and coming creator, maker, inventor, designer. Someone that could potentially change the world, you know, one way or another. So, hmm. and then yeah. there's the stuff of like me helping my neighbor, and you know, 
making a shelf for my neighbor or making the sign. I got to make the sign for the can collector next to me. You know, none of that's content. That's just me being a good neighbor and because occasionally I ask her for a favor and, you know, whatever it might be. I'm making party favors for one of my former students who's now a friend. His son is a big fan of mine and he said, he goes, it's my son's 10th birthday. Can you make the party favors? He goes, I just, he goes, I want, he goes, he would love that you made them. He goes, but I really don't know where else to get these things made. It's like, yeah, I'll do it for you. So I'm just going to see and see a couple of boards with like these silhouetted shapes that the kids want. But like that type of stuff. And, you know, it's, it's, it's stuff that takes time away from what I really personally would like to work on. But it's all done in goodwill for the greater good. Yeah. So, David, what is the thing that that spawned this? Uh, it's it's funny. I'm looking at my past videos over the last couple of years, and my best performing ones are tips videos and maybe not project videos. And I'm like, okay, if I want to double down and make videos that are going to help grow the channel. I might have to do videos that my audience wants instead of videos that I want. And it was just this this weird internal conflict. Like, up for the last six years, I've been making the videos that I want. And maybe I'm focusing on the wrong things. And to, and maybe to continue doing the videos that I want, I have to focus more on what, what the audience is looking for. And that's what spawned the whole, the whole conversation with myself. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's... It sounds like it sounds like to me like it feels like to you <laughs> like a sellout move where I'm It does. It does. Right. But I mean you said it well there that to be able to do the things that you want that you know are not going to maybe perform as it's just not as known how they're going to perform. They may do fine. Mm-hmm. They do great. But you know, those have to be sprinkled around other stuff that's not like counter to you. Selling out would be like, well, there's really, you know, there's big money in cooking, so I'm going to start doing cooking videos on here just to make up the money. And I mean, that, that's a that's a different thing. But you know, staying within what you do, what people expect, what you're good at, what you know, but focusing more on it on occasion to like keep the thing afloat that's not that doesn't feel like yeah. selling out that feels like do, making a smart business move to me I mean. it, I, i'll look at mark rober mark rober only does videos that he's super passionate about and I, and, I, and i shouldn't and i'm not comparing myself to him but we i can i call myself a youtuber he calls himself a youtuber so you know we're in that that same category but only does videos that he's super passionate about. There's no, there's no filler in there. There's nothing, there's nothing to feel guilty about. Everything is super sensational. And I don't know in our circle that we, we can't do that, but that's just, that's just somebody I see who like has never sold out and only does these insanely. um, Every video is, is better than the previous. Yeah. I, that's a dangerous comparison, though. I mean, it to be is honest, super even, dangerous. even though you, all of us can say, why would any of us compare ourselves to what he's doing? Even considering that comparison is is pretty dangerous because it just puts an undue amount of pressure on on you to to match like intensity of of passion for what that thing is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the pace and and funding that it takes to be able to produce something like that is it's unrealistic. Like for anybody else, I think, you know, I'm not for anybody else. There are people who do that stuff as well, but yeah, I mean that comparison game, no matter how well-intentioned or, or honest you can be about it is still a dangerous thing. You know, it can get you thinking about things that are, that are just not fair to you. And yeah, super true. Yeah, but it is still, you know, a thing. You have to, you're going to have to find trade-offs. We're constantly trying to find trade-offs. I mean, talking to that YouTube guy, we were looking at the types of content that we make, not the, like, the type of object, like renovation versus car stuff versus, you know, props. And, And we can, we have enough historical data now that we can look at those and be like, well, renovation stuff, 
does really well. It's not always going to hit, but if we were to do some sort of a home renovation or home project once a month or once every two months, we know that that's going to be a peak, whereas some of the other ones, we can kind of assume that a prop is going to be a valley. And so as long as we have a peak kind of near a valley, that gives us a median line and like we're safe. You know, we're not doing like all props because we know that that would just be low income for a long time, but we're not going to do all renovations because I don't want to be just a renovation channel. So, you know, that's looking at data and trying to, to, to figure out how to order and how to place things, how to balance things so that you have something sustainable. I think that's absolutely reasonable yeah. to do. <clears throat> I like talking to those YouTube people. They switch jobs while you're on the phone with them. It's like, oh, you know I'm no longer <laughs> doing this. Hi, I'm James. Promoted. I just got promoted. See you later. I'm passing yeah. you on to Carrie. Yeah, whatever. Carrie's now in charge. And she's like, okay, let's look at your analytics. Oops, I'm sorry. I just got promoted. I'm going to put on Bill. <laughs> it's funny because I've had three or four of these people over the years. And that has happened every single time. And so when this guy, when I got on the first call with him, he was like, why don't you have a YouTube partner? I was like, I don't know. I had one. And then they disappeared, yeah. and he was like, oh, wow. You know, he was very apologetic. And and it, his comment was, <laughs> and I quote, as long as I am in this position, I will be your YouTube partner. That's funny. Yeah. That's so, hilarious. I'm like, All right, oh, cool. I've just been promoted. Sorry. Yeah. My position just changed. Sorry. Anyway, other, any other thoughts on the trade-off? Mm, no. No. It's yeah. always a balance. There's no golden door where you walk it's, through and you get to do every single thing only you decide. So always a balance. That's true. All right, cool. Well, uh, I'm going to thank our Patreon supporters real quick because uh, they're awesome. Big thanks to everybody that helps the show out over on Patreon. Uh, everybody over there gets the after show, another separate podcast of us talking about more secret stuff, extra stuff, whatever. And... Uh, we do that every week, and everybody gets it no matter the level. But there's a group of people that go above and beyond to support this show, and they've been there for a very long time, and they're all awesome. So I want to call them out. Big thanks to Corey Ward, Albers Woodworks, Works by Solo, Chad from Minecrafting, You Can Make This Too, Fun Kiss Artistic Creations, Blondie Hacks, Rich at Lowen Designs, Odin Leather Goods, and Full Steam Designs. But also, David Tanner. He's one of our patrons, and he's awesome. What's up, David Tanner? Um... Yeah, we're really grateful for all them, all of you, everybody. Uh, we get lots of cool messages from them as well, which is pretty great. Uh, so if you want to join that crew, get the after show, go over to patreon.com slash making it. Give us a little support over there. That would be fantastic. And if you don't want to do that, totally cool. Just glad you are listening. Uh, you know, And we'd love it if you would share the show with people you think might like it. People who make stuff or want to make stuff or don't make stuff and like listening to three random strangers talk on the internet. That'd be cool. <laughs> I'd appreciate it. All right, what you got? I, this one is super cool. Okay. The, like, we, you should just, everybody should just go watch this one. It, it is... I lost a page here. Architectural Digest. They did a two designers transform the same Walmart lawn chair. So the, the the folding lawn chairs with the woven nylon in there that has been around since the 60s or 70s. These two designers took the chair and redid them. Like took off the, the nylon and it like made out of wood. It's super cool. I can't believe it, it's, it's on a huge channel, but this video's only got... 46,000 views, which is, and the channel has like 5.2 million subscribers. So I don't think it's a very popular video on their channel, but I think all of us woodworkers should be watching this because it is really cool to see how other people approach design. Cool. I'm super passionate about this video, sharing this video mm. with people because it's so cool. How about that? Mm. Wow. Mm. Mm-hmm. And also, I went to Walmart, Walmart to go get the chair because I was totally going to steal the idea, and they didn't have any of these classic foldable lawn chairs uh-huh. there. I'm still going to do it, though. I'm still going to hmm. rip off their idea. <laughs> cool. What you got, Jimmy? Oh, he's muted. And talking to... Sorry, guys. Um, we're trying to find a pen. No, no, no. The one over there. 
a pen. <laughs> okay, I'll go. Um, so I've been listening to audiobooks, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot more lately because uh, it's nice enough for me to run outside, and so I'm not watching TV while I'm running. I'm listening to things, and I burned through all my podcasts on the way to England. I'm listening to the first book of the Wing Feather Saga. So uh, this is a there's I think there's three of them. It's by Andrew Peterson. These are like fantasy fantasy books. I think that are written for kids, but they're everybody keeps telling me like you have to listen to this book. All my kids have read them. A bunch of adults I know have read them, and so I got the audio books who are read by the author. So I've been listening to them, and the first one is really interesting. It's a it's a fantasy story that doesn't necessarily lean on existing fantasy you know like monster types and stuff like that like if you read lord of the rings and then you go read some other random fantasy they're like oh yeah well they took the orcs from lord of the rings or they took the dwarves from this thing or whatever this one like it's at least creative in that it feels like it's a new world that he's building And so I've been enjoying that. Uh, It's called On the Edge of the Dark Sea of Darkness. The Wingfeather Saga is the the name of the series. So if you like Hmm. fantasy, go check it out. Mm -hmm. All right, we found the pen. Taylor came in looking for a specific type of pen. You know, as an artist, you have have a really good idea, and you have to draw that image with the exact right pen. (laughs) She was looking for a flare felt tip pen, and we both were always stealing them from each other. Because we like to draw in that flare felt tip pen. By the way, Wait, be- check be- out. Before, yeah. Before you go into your pick, I have a question for you guys. Since so. you guys both have home businesses, do you get all kinds of, like, maybe once a month, once every couple months, you get the promotional <laughs> pens with your name and your, your address on there? That's I what actually, most of my pens are. Full of them. <laughs> I don't get those. I think you have to have ordered from one of those companies one time, and then all of okay. a sudden you get that yeah. little pack. I'll yeah. tell you a funny, a funny little side story is my dad got the offer. My dad's a little—he's getting old. My dad—he's very old. He's getting old, and you know he's he's getting a little forgetful. He's starting to get a little like he. So this is an example of my dad's you know early onset just forgetfulness. I don't know what it's called, but <clears throat> he gets in the mail a T-shirt offer that says Duresta Woodwork. And he immediately thinks I did it because when he sees this name in print, like in a photograph, he assumes that could only be like big successful media stuff. It can't be just a mailing company, just fishing. So he said, I ordered that shirt you sent me. I said, I don't know what you're talking about. Because <laughs> you didn't send me Duresta Woodworking shirt? I go, no, I didn't do that. I don't know what you're talking about. I have no idea what you're talking about. He goes, oh, I thought that was from you. I was like, I, it's junk mail. How, why would it be for me? I would tell you that I'm going to send you something. So my dad ordered the Duresta woodworking shirt and pens and pencils. So every time he gets together with our family, he wears this brown sweatshirt that says Duresta woodworking on it. And recently, I think it was Sean Beckner sent me one. He got the same exact graphic. I think it was with his name on it. It reminds me, he's like, look, That's like fine. the shirt your dad wears. Oh, I love it. <laughs> anyway, so uh, by the way, there was a great, and you could see my dad in this movie. I'm about to suggest the League of Extraordinary. A League of Extraordinary Makers is made by an Asian production company. They were the kindest group of people, and they did the most beautiful documentary series. And I'm in part one, so it's predominantly about me, but is several other people in there: Dale from Make Magazine and uh, uh, Bunny, the hardware hacker. I never heard of him. And there's a clothing designer that does electronic clothing. She met the president. I wish I could remember her name. But it's so well done. So well done. They interviewed me several times and interviewed my father. And they loved being up here at the farm. So you can get, if you really want an explicit look of what the farm and the shop looks like, they did fantastic, beautiful drone shots, me driving and following me with the drone. I don't even remember half the things they did. They, and they did it all in, uh, in the first week of August is when we shot all this. So the ground was nice and lush and full of green, beautiful leaves. So go check it out. Not to mention uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a bit emotional touching because I have a little talk about my dad and then my dad kind of counteracts what I said about him. And uh, I totally didn't expect to see that. And I'm kind of nervous to tell him that it's out. I didn't even tell him it was out yet. 
man, he wouldn't notice unless I literally like handed him the link and opened it up on his phone. But uh, I'm a little nervous for him to see this little conversation we have about each other. Hmm. I didn't realize how honest I was being. (laughs) No, not bad. Not bad. Just, you know, it's typical father-son stuff, you know, generational stuff. Nothing bad. I mean, I said I am basically, I am everything I am because of my dad. But he worries about money too much. And that's kind of what I talk about. Gotcha. Specifically, my money. (laughs) (laughs) I see. (laughs) Worry about yourself. (laughs) Got it. Cool. I'll have to check that out. It's really well done. And there's four parts, and each part is about predominantly somebody different, dynamically different from each other. Hmm. Cool. All right. Well, uh, you guys got anything else for this week? For the no. non-after show? I, uh, I don't have anything super, super exciting. Okay. I can tell you what happened to the 41 wine trailer, though. Did I tell you what happened to it the first time? I don't think so. The siding came off or something, right? The side, yeah, I think I might have told you in the F show, but the siding, it went through like basically a tornado and the, the siding peeled off. But when I went online a couple months ago and said, anybody in California do metalwork, the guys at Ameribraid Grinders stepped up. They said, bring it here. So I, also, I had my guys bring it to them and they fixed it. Unbelievably, they had a huge decal on it. They peeled the decal off. They sent the new decal out to California, and the guys at Ameribraid, guys, thank you, a thousand times. They redid the trim. They went through like a seventy mile an hour windstorm, and w- when the guys who told me it got damaged, they said, "Don't feel bad. It happens." They said this thing held, held up just like they all held up. Yeah. <laughs> he goes, "Yours is a little bit better than the most of them." He said, "This type of windstorm that rips houses apart." So it went through that windstorm in Texas, and a few pieces peeled off. But the guys at Ameribraid got it nice and back in order, and reinforced some of my pop rivets and stuff. So, guys, thank you. And if you want a grinder, get a grinder from Ameribraid. It's good. It's century. a good one. Yeah, it is I right. And as well. It is so good. I I was so hesitant to pay that much money for a thing that sands and grinds i use it so much it is so handy and it's so well made Mm -hmm. yeah not hashtag not sponsored (laughs) yeah no i paid for it myself yeah (laughs) no but it's it's worth every penny and they have great great workflow solutions to changing the apparatus if you're going to put a different type of wheel on it and they have a great stand with rolling wheels They, they really think through everything really well so check them out Cool. All right. Well, let's go to the after show. Um, Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you. We'll we'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye, guys. Thank you.